Welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays. I'm your host, Katie Elman. Sustainable Business Fridays is the first podcast of its kind, bringing together students in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, not-for-profits, social entrepreneurship, and more. Twice monthly, these conversations go live via iTunes and Google Play. This week, I'm joined by second-year Bard MBA student Jennifer Shelbo, and we're speaking with Maya Elizabeth, CEO of Whoopi and Maya, and the founder and owner of Ohm Edibles. Jen, you have a strong interest in legalized marijuana and medicinal marijuana, which leads us to the conversation today. Can you speak briefly just about that interest, and then feel free to introduce Maya? Definitely. Um, So my interest in the cannabis industry um, has definitely been growing over the last year. Um, This is a new industry. It is just an amazing opportunity to watch a a really impactful um, agricultural product, which is cannabis, um, have a great effect on not only local economies, but on um, have a really beneficial effect for patients that um, need help solving medical problems. And I think there's a movement in terms of um, a social justice impact that I'm really also excited to see. So I think that um, as this industry changes, it will have not only effect on the agricultural industry, patient health, um, people health, planet health, um, but I think it'll have a big impact on um, on uh, creating some some level of equality in our in our world. Um, and so I am super excited to talk to Maya Elizabeth today. And Maya has been working in the cannabis industry in California. After graduating from college, she formed Ohm Edibles, which is an all female run cannabis collective, and that was in. 2008. Um, The company focuses on high quality ingredients, including sun-grown cannabis. And in 2015, Maya partnered with Whoopi Goldberg to create the Whoopi and Maya line of uh, medical cannabis products. And I just want to share a little snapshot from the website to tell the story of their partnership. So when the legendary Whoopi Goldberg decided to follow her heart and take a leap into the medical cannabis market, she went looking for the best ingredients, the best medicine, and the most talented infuser she could find. Maya Elizabeth, the founder of Ohm Edibles since 2008, has won seven High Times Cannabis Cup Awards and enjoys a growing reputation as one of the best creators of medical cannabis products in California. The two women hit it off from the moment they met and quickly decided that the Whoopi and Maya synergy would begin with a signature line of medical cannabis products designed specifically for relief from menstrual discomfort. As you will see, they have succeeded spectacularly. So please soak, savor, rub, and relax with Whoopi and Maya. And so welcome, Maya. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that beautiful and flattering You're so welcome. Um, So Maya, what I wanted to ask you was, um, what are the 
the medical cannabis product lines that you have created for both the Ohm Edibles product line and also Whoopi and Maya, and how, how are they different? Great. Um, I would say they, were, they are both much more similar than different because we share the same philosophy for both companies, which is that we view cannabis as a superfood and a healing herb, and that we believe when we combine cannabis with other nutrient-dense ingredients, superfoods, and healing herbs, a superior medicine can be made. So that being said, I make about 20 different things for OWN, and the Whoopi and Maya line consists of four products. They range from THC edibles, which are edibles that are psychoactive, to CBD edibles, which are edibles that are very nutrient beneficial, but not psychoactive, and also a whole array of tinctures, which are liquid medicinal or sublingual, and topicals, lots and lots of topicals. Um, so we do medicated Epsom salts. We do a raw chocolate, a cacao, which is a superfood. Um, we do something we call tree huggers, which are a nut cluster with hemp seeds in them that are paleo and vegan and gluten-free. We also do a number of skin and body oils, olive oils, about six different types of tinctures, hard candies, peanut butter, puffed rice, truffles, bath scissors, um, and a couple of different topicals that are salves or bombs. Awesome. That sounds like a real treat. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we, we definitely have, yeah, we have something for everyone and understanding that there's so many different patient needs out there at different times and for different people and different conditions that really and truly variety is the spice of life. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, uh, you went through the product line for both Whoopi and Maya and the Ohm Edibles, and I just wanted to highlight the partnership with Whoopi Goldberg that you had and what led you to um, that synergy, as it says on the website. Great. Yeah, well, being that Ohm Edibles is a female collective, which was not some intentional plan thing. We just happen to be a group of friends who are passionate about cannabis. We just have to be women. Um, and competing in the High Times Cup. Uh, when Whoopi had the idea for the line, because the menstrual line was her idea, uh, she reached out to Rick Cusick of High Times, who then started thinking about his Rolodex and who could he ask who might be able to make a, an awesome women's line. And when he realized that we were an all-female collective, he gave us a call, and we started formulating from there. Um, my friend Alexis, who's an herbalist, who has a non-medicated moon line already, has been, we were both talking about putting our medicine together forever. So as soon as I got the phone call, I called her, and we started formulating two of the four products are multi-herb. Um, and then the other two products were original own creation. So it's four different products, everything that a lady wants on her moon cycle. Um, a bath, a rub, a tincture, and two types of chocolate. Oh, that sounds great. Um, one phrase that really sticks out to me on the ingredient list of those labels is sun-grown cannabis. And I understand that the operations to grow medicinal cannabis span from indoor high energy intensive grow ops to outdoor grows that are based on organic principles. 
I was wondering if you could talk to us about um, what do you find are the advantages of using the sun-grown flower or extract, and how does this differentiate your product from another another competitor's product? Great, I love this question. Um, I believe that there is truly a time and a place for everything. I love indoor cannabis. I love it when it's grown organically, especially. Um, I also love sun-grown cannabis, and I believe that there's something so natural and whole about sun-grown cannabis. Um, there's, for example, the taproot system doesn't develop indoors. Uh, there's a certain amount of lumens you could never recreate, no matter how expensive your lights are, um, that the sun has. There are elements going on, like what type of soil is in, is in the ground and where you're located geographically and your topography. and um, where you're oriented in terms of the sun and what might be growing around you, like a lavender brush or a citrus grove. So there's so many beautiful uh, variables that come into play that can be more compared and likened to uh, wine, like where you grow your grapes and what the water table was like that year. To make these beautiful flavors come forward that when you develop your palate, you can experience and notice and differentiate. Uh, we use whole plant medicine. One of our products has an extract in it, but um, for the most part, we use a whole plant medicine. And I, I believe that does make a superior medicine because all of your receptors, your cannabinoid receptors in your body are like little keyholes. And all of the cannabinoids that develop in the plant, depending on the strain and how it's grown and the food and all the variables, are like keys. So... I believe in keeping the plant whole. Uh, time after time, when we tend to dissect and pull apart, uh, like Western medicine does, um, time they ask patients who might be dealing with cancer or other debilitating conditions what the superior medicine was. Um, this isolated thing that's been separated and compartmentalized, or a plain old doobie that is a whole plant. Every single time they say the whole plant is better. And I believe that's because there are certain magical things and symbiotic things going on in the plant that we don't even know how to articulate or quantitate and measure or test for. Um, so for that reason, we keep the plant whole because we think she's perfect the way she is and um, make a full spectrum so um, when when you talked about testing Maya um, of of being able to maybe not detect all these nuances of the medicine that you're creating um, that the benefits of this the full spectrum of the plant seem counter to what consumers are demanding in terms of testing and supply chain transparency um, that it's hard to um, balance the the a responsible cannabis industry and also be doing what's right for your pa patients. Um, the what I wanted to ask you about was regulations and testing. When you think about that in terms of cannabis, um, and especially you you had talked about um, like the outdoor grows and and more organic practices. Um, the USDA, because it's a federal agency, doesn't allow 
cannabis growers to use the organic organic label. But I was wondering if you envision a place for best practices working groups made up of cannabis growers and um, other practitioners within the industry, um, or even state organic certifications for cannabis. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to that. Yeah, um, because cannabis is considered a Schedule One drug in America, we are not allowed to put the word organic on the front of our packaging. If we do, it's not just one $11,000 fine, it's however many products you have on the shelf. So if I have 50 candies on the shelf and it says organic on the front, that would be 50 $11,000 fines. But we are allowed to say what ingredients are organic on the back, but not cannabis. So even if you're using organic cannabis, you can't say it in your ingredients list. Um, we do use almost 100% organic ingredients, including our cannabis, even though we can't say it. And I really think there's such an importance with that because understanding your audience and, and ultimately who you're serving, um, a lot of people that are going to be consuming your product may have a compromised immune system, may be dealing with debilitating conditions uh, where it's very important for them to pay attention to what they're putting in their body. A lot of things people use for plants are brought to a hot temperature when they're cooked and infused, and a lot of testing doesn't really account for that. So it's super important. I think if, we, if I were to vote, like, what area to focus on in terms of regulation, it would be this one. Um, there already is one certification called Clean Green where they will come to your garden or your facility and test your soil and see what you're using and, and give you a certification for your cannabis. And that will allow you to use their badge that says clean green. And um, I know certain dispensaries like Harborside tend to definitely favor clean green certified cannabis. And um, I, I absolutely do. When I, when I smoke cannabis, I love when I know that it's a clean green certified product. So, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that's a great indication for consumers to understand that there are um, rigorous requirements that these growers have to meet um, to get the clean green certification. And it's very transparent. So that's that's a great way to track this, like the the supply chain of the product and understand um, the the, what's gone into growing the flower or, um, you know, or the extraction. So. Yeah. And, you know, um, with how much pressure they're starting to put on our industry for testing, I don't feel it's fair to not have some type of standardization or regulation of the lab. A lot of the equipment that is being used um, can be very inconsistent. Some of it you have to heat up what you're testing to a point where it starts decarboxylating cannabinoids and throws off your um, results big time. And a lot of the newer equipment really hasn't been around long enough for people to even know if it's correct or not. So I think it can kind of be the flaw of human thought when we grip and cling to these numbers and this data so tightly, not even realizing that it could be totally false. And we're putting so much on this value that may or may not be true. Um, I think that it would be really helpful for someone to come standardize all the labs 
and make sure that the machines are being calibrated properly, that everyone's using the same units and the same process and the same measurements, um, so we can actually understand what's going on. Yeah, I like I like that perspective. Thank you so much for sharing that because that's I think it's great to hear from someone who's actually working really hard in the industry and um, understands the the final product that they want to make and um, and who they're who they're serving and what the purpose of that is. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about um, just refocusing on the product lines that you have. Um, you spoke briefly about the um, the herbs and the chocolate that you use in the final product, and um, and I was curious a little bit about the responsible sourcing and how critical that is to your final product um, and different again differentiating your, your the product from competitors. Um, if you wanted to add anything about that process or or the the ingredients that you choose, yeah, we use. Um, I'm, so Whoopi and Maya, our packaging is from America um, and sourced in a fair way. We went way out of our way to do that. Um, the chocolate that we use is organic and fair trade. Um, it's also raw, um, which makes it more of a superfood. The herbs and the sources of herbs that we're using, we try our very best to make sure that they are harvested in an ecologically sound way. Uh, our salts, our Epsom salts that we use are pharmacological grade, which means they're produced indoors instead of pillaging the earth uh, for her depleted resources. Um, and we also understand that those salts will be going into your most intimate parts, and it's important that they're free of toxins and pollution. Um, so it really does matter, and you vote with your dollars, and we uphold that uh, in the philosophy of, of both companies, really. We try our best. Um, I can give you a great example of one of the challenges. I love eating organic myself. I have well-researched on why it's important, especially when it comes to an ingredient like sugar. It's $200 for a bag of sugar that cost $12 non-organic. Uh, $200 for, for it to be organic and $12 for it to be non-organic. So it really can propose a challenge when you realize that that's like your whole entire profit. And as much as patients, we, we think we would generalize patients as people who are kind of these granola-eating tree huggers, uh, really and truly, I can say this out of experience from being a bud tender for so long, um, people get to the counter and they'll do the math and, and really, truly find the cheapest way to medicate. And having organic ingredients doesn't always make the patient buy it at all. They're really looking for something on a budget and a high milligram. Hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting perspective. So with that in mind, um, you know, how how do you... How do you think that may affect the strategy or the growth opportunities for the business that you run? Um, I'm just thinking in terms of, I, I agree with you in terms of eating organic. I think that market segment is really growing. And I, and I wonder if it'll grow also um, in cannabis-related products. Or is it just because you have a diversity of population 
um, well, I guess that's applicable also when you think about the about food. You just have a diversity of population that is able to afford different price points. And I'm, yeah, I'm trying it, to imagine it, yeah. how that affects your business long term. I really believe it's all about options and that for every patient that wants a high milligramming, uh, a high, high milligrammed edible, there's a patient that wants a low milligram edible. Um, I believe for every person that wants only organic, fair trade, properly sourced ingredients, there's another person who simply doesn't care and wants the low price point. So I think it's just all about having options and catering to who you want to cater to. Okay. Yeah. And that's really applicable in any, in any business. <laughs> um, totally. Yeah. Um, one more thing that I wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, the, there's shifting more towards the focus of the larger cannabis industry. Um, in November of 2016, voters in four states, California, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine voted to legalize cannabis in their state. So this will open up opportunities for both Whoopi and Maya and Ohm Edibles to sell products to recreational users and maybe even expand beyond California. And do you think that is something that you're interested in? Absolutely. Um, everyone in the community seem to have some mixed feelings and fears about Prop 64, and we'll have to see how it unfolds. You know, Prop 215 wasn't perfect. We were able to work it. Um, we still have time to work out some kinks and get in where we fit in and get our ducks in a row. So um, ultimately, at the end of the day, I do believe it's a positive thing. I just hope it's going to be fair for everybody. Um, I'm excited to get our products to as many people as possible, and that's always been my intention and goal. So that's, that's what I'm focusing on. I'm excited to do that. Um, we will see what the regulations really look like. I'm Pretty sure and assuming we're going to do 10 milligram servings. I think that's what Colorado is doing, and I'm, I have reason to believe that that's what we're probably going to do too. And that's great. I just want to honor and value also the medical cannabis um, community because there are a lot of patients out there who are truly sick that need a lot more than 10 milligrams and might not have much of an appetite. Right. So, I, yeah, I think once we start standardizing things, it can be challenging for people who are using cannabis for certain ailments, but hopefully we'll just keep doing our best and work our way through and navigate and figure out the best way to do things. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about the, the movement to legalize cannabis and, you know, now it's really gaining a lot of momentum, but really it was built on the backs of people that risk their livelihoods to grow often for the benefit of medical patients. Um, and I wonder, going forward, how th those smaller growers and producers are going to um, hold on to their fair share of the market um, when they they often took the risk to and worked so hard to like bring the the cannabis industry to you know and cannabis use uh, almost like normalize it or it's getting it's getting that. Um, it's the perspective on it is changing. I was wondering if you if you wanted to add anything there. Yeah, I love that you're speaking to that part of the industry because I think it's something that a lot of people who are new don't really understand that this foundation of medical cannabis in California, which has shaped our culture and our community, uh, it, 
it was created for sick people who have AIDS and cancer and other debilitating life conditions that cannabis truly helps with. And that is how we were given our patient rights. So respecting the struggle and respecting what it's taken to slowly, very slowly together as a grassroots movement, take baby steps in the direction of wanting to produce medical cannabis and what the intention was and what it took to do that and what the risks were that were involved. There are still people that are incarcerated as we speak and there have been families that have been torn apart. So my heart goes out to every small farmer out there, and I love and appreciate every small farmer so very much because these different cannabinoid profiles that need to be preserved for people to enjoy are so important. Turning everything into one mass production or one corporate chemical way of doing things is really going to sacrifice and degrade the quality of the medicine that we have. Um, You know, just like wine... Um, even though it's hard to compare alcohol and cannabis, um, but the wine industry is a great example of like these boutique farms that are producing really special varietals uh, organically. And so we're going to have to see what happens in the next five years. I really truly hope that all the small farmers will be taken care of and there will still be a place for them in the industry because their role is so very important for for patients specifically. so yeah, my fingers are crossed, and I hope it's going to be, I hope it's going to be fair and and beautiful, and allow people to survive and keep doing what they've been doing. Yeah, I think sustainability in in a larger sense, especially as related to um, agricultural products, often um, focus on focuses on um, preserving biodiversity and um, and fostering biodiversity in the natural systems um, in the world. And I think that's a critical part of what you're talking about: the different strains of cannabis um, and the different um, the the different genetics um, that different different strains hold. So I think um, that's a huge sustainability issue in terms of. Um, uh, you know, maintaining the biodiversity of this industry and not making it like just a cookie cutter type um, cannabis product. Um, and so with that in mind, you know, I w- in this MBA program, we're really trained to think of sustainability as a multifaceted, multidisciplined um, uh, topic within business operations, especially um, as it relates to, you know, the people, planet, and eventually profit um, of any industry. And what I what I want to end with is asking you um, if that is something you think about and what do you envision are the most critical points to incorporate sustainable business practices into the cannabis industry? Yeah, totally. And, you know, another part of this whole thing is, like, not everybody wants to give their money to corporations. You know, some people would really, truly rather support the family farm itself being one of them. Um, I like supporting other human beings that have names and faces and philosophies and integrity and intention and really a grounding with this plant and a deep personal connection to the plant. Um, Anyone can make money off cannabis. It's all about cultivating a relationship and understanding what you're actually doing and what you're actually providing for somebody. Um, so we try to incorporate that belief into every decision that we make for both companies. Um, we are lucky enough to work with 
uh, an organic farm that produces our cannabis organically. Um, we are lucky enough to work with strains that we've made ourselves that are many different varieties of beautiful hybrid uh, cannabis strains that are balanced and don't send patients too far in either direction. And um, we're really lucky to be using products that are cultivated and produced in a sustaining way. We use fair trade chocolate. We use almost all organic ingredients. Um, we try to avoid plastic in our packaging, even though it's hard to do that with the Epsom salt because if it falls in the bathtub and makes glass, it's flash shards, it's going to be a problem. Um, but we're working through all those challenges, and we hope to evolve even more. Um, it's just like any other business that the decisions that you make and the practices you decide to participate in do matter, and they affect everybody. So I have a quick question, Maya. Mm -hmm. um, so why do you think, I mean, both of you can answer this. Why do you think there's been this so much more traction to legalize cannabis throughout the country um, as of late? I know, Maya, you've been in this business for about, I think you said since 2008. Why do you think there's so much more traction now? Why do you think consumers are looking for this? And why do you think the opportunity um, is coming up in 2016? Sure. Well, I think we see other states like Colorado who are doing really well since they legalized cannabis and understanding that we are at the tail end of a, of a prohibition and prohibitions can be powerful. And as the research emerges and the information comes clean and comes out, you know, people are really starting to adjust their thoughts and judgments about cannabis. Um, so often we are so excited about the new flat screen TV or the new iPhone and we're not willing to let any new information in about a plant. Um, I think that a lot of the mainstream stuff that's come forward, like Sanjay Gupta and like people understanding about CBD and how it's not psychoactive, but it's extremely health beneficial. Every little one of those uh, educational tidbits and pieces of information are what can correct people's stereotypes. And so just little by little, I think the truth is being revealed and I think we're seeing other states do it. You know, California has a population of a small country. We also are the food basket for the United States. It's not um, by chance that we grow trees when other people grow plants. Um, our topography is beautiful. Our elevation is perfect. Um, Northern California especially, I mean, it's just, it's just a favorable climate to, to produce beautiful cannabis. And it's not an accident that our culture has developed there. So um, I just think we're seeing other people do it, and we want it. And... You know, it's just it's time to free the herb and let people have safe access to cannabis. You have more than 200 receptors all over your body. You only have eight opioid receptors. So, you know, tell me what your body is more designed to receive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Maya um, for so many parts of that. Yeah, and it's also undeniable when you see how many children are finding relief from epilepsy because of CBD and, you know, Parents are being punished, you know, for giving their children a medicine that stops their seizures that doesn't even get them high. They're relocating their family so they can have access to medicine. I think the more exposure to that people have, the, the less deniable it is. Um, you know, these people are by no 
no means trying to get their children high. <laughs> they're, they're definitely not trying to get their children high. They're trying to stop their children from having seizures. Uh, because every time you have a seizure, there's brain damage that happens. It's like irreversible. So it's really important to try to prevent these seizures. It's debilitating on families. And you start to connect with the human connection and really realize, recognize and realize these profiles over and over again. And it, you can't not be compassionate. Right. And I think the the one thing that I would add to that um, that is that this is cannabis um, is often um, a, like a medicine of last resort for these families. These families cannot find anything else to help their children. And when they find this, um, that when they find cannabis, um, the, and especially the, you know, the CBD strain uh, or uh, the CBD po portion of cannabis um, just makes such a profound impact on the lives of of um, people suffering with um, certain disorders. I think it's just, um, you know, they, they move, uh, families will uproot themselves and move to states that, and that, ha that can provide their children with this, the access to the medicine. And when these stories come out um, and, and are told in a really um, eloquent manner, it's, it's hard to look away from that. Um, and, and I think that has definitely influenced the, um, the legalization picture. Yeah. The human experience is undeniably a, a way to connect and, you know, everything we expose ourselves to, we put it through this filter in our brain where we connect it to all of our own personal stories. And most people know someone who suffers from epilepsy or some other debilitating condition that cannabis is really useful for. So just the more human we can make it and decriminalize this whole thing, I think the more uh, people are gaining compassion and starting to accept that it really is a medicine and people aren't making this stuff up. Yeah, I'm, I am so excited to watch the evolution of both um, the Whoopi and Maya line and also the Ohm Edibles line. I'm super excited Thank for you. people to hear this. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, ladies. To learn more about Whoopi and Maya and Ohm Edibles, visit whoopiandmaya.com and ohmedibles.org. Join us for the next Sustainable Business Fridays, where we'll be speaking with Fereshte Furo, founder and CEO of Code to Inspire. Bard MBA in Sustainability. Lead the change. Learn more at bard.edu.